Father, we want to thank you this morning for the privilege of being in your presence. Thank you that we can call upon your name and look to you and surrender our lives to you totally, completely, without reservation. You are worthy, Lord. And we long for you to be the center of everything we do, everything we say, everything we, we think. Lord, our heart's desire is to place you above everything else, anything else that stands in the way of your purposes for us. And we pray that you will bless us this morning. You will continue with us this morning. <clears throat> Father, we want to pray for those who are in need of a touch from you, that today you will reach out to them and touch their lives in a special way. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. And we pray in particular, Lord, for those today, Lord, who are grappling with issues or grappling and struggling with something that is difficult from a human perspective, that you, Lord, will come alongside them and reach out to them and assure them, Lord, that you are there for them. We pray, Lord, for all of us here today and for those who are not here, especially those who are on holiday, that you will be with them, you will protect them and give them journey mercies as they return. But you will, that you, this morning, Lord, as we come before you, we lay ourselves before you. And we ask now, Lord, that you will further minister to us and speak to us in a special way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Welcome again, everybody, to the service today. We know we are only <clears throat> a handful today, but even a handful, you know, the Lord is ready to bless us and the Lord is ready to minister to us in a very unique and special way. So we've been busy with the book of, uh, book of Galatians and we've been focusing on this word grace and there's just so much about grace that we will never ever in this lifetime be able to fathom and understand the word grace. But as we focus on that this morning, it's, it's about confrontation and I don't know whether somebody here, you know, needs to deal with that in their lives, but it's facing confrontation with grit and grace. Did you hear that? Grit and grace. So what we're going to do now, we're going to read a few verses, a couple of verses there from the second chapter of Galatians, and we're going to read from verses 11, and then from there onwards we're going to just uh, zero into God's word here this morning. Let's read together. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Now that sounds so harsh, the way Paul, Peter, Paul approached Peter, but it was, he, he, he opposed him with grace. It sounds so as if he was very aggressive here because, because of the way, you know, whenever we read something, it just always, we, we seem to just read it and say, oh, that's what it means and so forth. And often it's not what it really means. But in this case, he opposed, and he had to be firm with Peter. But he did, he did it graciously. But let's go to verse 12. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. 
the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth, and we are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Know that a man is not justified by observing the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ, Jesus, that, worth, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. And let's go to verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So far may God bless the reading of his precious word. Lord, thank you for your word again and uh, may you minister to us in a special way today. Our story begins in Antioch. Antioch was a bustling cosmopolitan center. It was in the northern part of Israel and you would find it in the province of Syria. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Although it had a large Jewish population, Antioch was predominantly Gentile. And if we read in Acts chapter 13, we will read that the first missionaries were sent from Antioch to, to the Gentiles, in other words, yeah, were sent from Antioch to make a difference in the world. Now the Jews and the Gentiles here in this church at Antioch, they loved each other. They enjoyed each other. And uh, despite their differences uh, in backgrounds and all of that, they even ate together. How do you like that? And this was huge. It was huge for, to any Jewish person because of, their, because of their childhood Jewish kosher laws. Can you remember those kosher laws? You shouldn't eat those, you shouldn't eat that, and things like that. That's what happened here. And, uh, uh, but these people enjoyed one another. The church was... You know, there was just uh, uh, something happening in the church that it was so amazing. And then, of course, some of the brothers and some of the people came and they claimed to be sent from James, the chief apostle, eh? the leading apostle in Jerusalem. Evidently, they started to stir up trouble. Peter pulled back from the Gentile converts out of fear of men who came from James. Peter compromised his convictions even though he knew it was wrong. And worst of all, his bad example caused the other Jewish Christians to follow him as well and follow what he's been doing. How do you like that? Even Barnabas we read about, Paul's associate, got carried away at this point in time. It's amazing, eh? 
there's a statement that uh, people always make, especially pastors and theologians, we never sin alone. We never do anything alone. What we do always drags others with us. Isn't that amazing? And that's what happened in this case here. But here we're dealing with facing confrontation with grace and bread. Well, facing it with grace and bread is about balancing grace and truth. From verses 11 to 14 there. When great issues are at stake, I want to make this statement, we must put truth above personal friendships. Did you hear that? We must put truth above personal friendships. And people are often not able to do that. Isn't it true? But we must put truth above personal friendship. It could not have been easy for Paul to rebuke Peter face to face in front of the whole congregation. But he did what he had to do. And he spoke the truth. In those cases, we will need God's wisdom. Isn't it true when we speak the truth? To know what to say and how much to say and how to say it. That's the key. How to say it, what to say and how to say it as we balance the truth. Isn't it true? And, uh, <laughs> you know, and sometimes we will be like Paul and have to go to a brother or sister with a word of correction. Sometimes it will have to be like that. Have you had to do that recently? But sometimes we will be like Paul, who have to go to a brother or sister with a word of correction. Sometimes we will be like Peter and be on the receiving end. Whoa, eh? And that's also not a, you know, that's not what people love. Be on the receiving end. But may God give us grace in both cases to speak the truth in love and also to receive the truth with humility. It's easy to speak the truth in love, but it's not always easy to receive it with humility. Isn't it true, brothers and sisters? Are you still with me? Confrontation is never easy. It's never easy. It always comes at a cost. Believe me when I say this. In these years of being a pastor, it always comes at a cost. But you've got to confront the truth. You've got to confront it. It comes with a cost. It will, could cost you a friendship. It could cost, cost you something. But it always comes with a cost. I want to say this to you, no matter whether it comes with a cost, go to the offender first, like Paul. Not to another person. Don't go to someone else. Go to the offender first. The problem is between you and the offender. Somebody needs to hear this here this morning. It is easy to head straight to others. It's easy to head straight to social media and address offenses irresponsibly. Isn't it true? How many times have we addressed it irresponsibly? How many times haven't we been irresponsible by running to others instead of addressing it with the offender? 
Are you still with me? <laughs> it takes godly courage to address that person face to face. Having a godly response, my brother, sister, is crucial. More people are watching your life than you think. So you need to have a godly response. Do not lose sight also as you deal with someone. Do not lose sight of the mercy you were shown. The grace that you have been shown in Jesus. Isn't it true? Never lose sight of that. Do not forget the moment you experience the grace of God and know that He is using you at this moment to be that bearer of grace in someone's life. I don't see many heads nodding here this morning. We are bearers of grace in someone's life at all times. May you allow the Lord to use you in that way, to be a bearer of grace in someone's life. But confront, you will have to. Isn't it true? We cannot run from confrontation. We've got to confront certain things. We've got to confront it head on. Grace says, this needs to change. Now, this is what grace says. This needs to change in this person's life. But I am going to continue walking with them and providing them support as they struggle through something they are trying to work out. That's grace. I'm walking with you. I know you are struggling, but I'm walking with you. I'm not giving up on you. That was Paul's attitude here, and we don't realize it. You know, how he balanced grace and truth when he spoke to Peter. How about you and I this morning? Facing confrontation with grit and grace is also not only about balancing grace and truth, but it's also about bonding without condemnation. Verses 15 to 18. Bonding. Oh, it's a big word, eh? Without condemnation. Verses 15 to 18. Like Paul confronting Peter, our hearts should not be in a place of pride condemning the person for doing something wrong, but rather it should be wanting to free our brother or sister from condemnation. Did you hear that? We free them from condemnation. That should be our attitude. Peter already felt condemned. Let's remember that. When we speak to someone, they already feel condemned. Peter already felt condemned. He already felt uh, guilty about leading others astray. It was not about Paul. And Paul didn't go to him and condemn him. He was not living worthy, yes, it's true, to the call of the gospel on the level Paul knew he was capable of. Paul knew he what he was capable of. And that is why Paul came to him and confronted him. And because of this, Paul confronted him with buckets, the you hear this? Buckets of truth and grace. Whoa! How many times do you and I confront others with buckets of truth? Buckets of grace. That's what it's all about. Hey, I'm whistling here again today. Hallelujah. It is believing in and wanting what is best for people at all times. 
It is a desire to show them great love and kindness, regardless of whether they have done anything to deserve it. Did you hear that? Whether they deserve it or not, I'm not there to judge them. I'm there to come alongside them and help them confront the truth. Be firm with them. Be as forthright as I can, but also with grace, seasoned with grace. Eh? But there the word there, you know, Paul uses the word justify and law all the time here as we read further here. And I want to get into this word justify, and we all know the meaning by now. We should. You would have heard this before. The word justify means to declare righteous. It refers to a verdict from the judge in a court that allows a defendant to go free. You are justified. Did you hear that? It means that the defendant is declared not guilty, innocent of all the charges, and that there is no record against him in the eyes of the law. That's from a, uh, that's a, uh, that's from a legal perspective. You see that? If you are justified through faith, your record is clean and clear in the eyes of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Just as if you have never sinned, justified. Your record, record is clean and clear. And that's what Paul was talking can about. Can you see what Paul was talking about here? This is what he was talking about. He, he knew immediately where this was heading and he still spoke about justification here. When I think of the Lord here, when God justifies a sinner, he does not simply delay his punishment like in law today, eh? delay the punishment. He does not reduce his punishment. Does the Lord reduce his punishment? When God justifies a sinner, he removes the punishment altogether. Did you hear it? Altogether. When he justifies her, it's he has no record of it. He erases it. As he forgives you and I. Shouldn't we forgive one another in that way? I erase whatever. I forgive you completely. That's how, what the Lord is saying to us here this morning. Altogether. I remove Whatever you deserve, I remove it altogether. And let's not take advantage of the grace of the Lord, but let's realize how he deals with us. You see, to be justified is the opposite of being condemned. You've got the picture now, eh? Each person here today was created for a specific reason. There is no one on the face of the planet who is a mistake. Did you hear that? You're not a mistake this morning. No one accidentally came into this world. Some parents may have not expected you <laughs> this morning, but no one was an accident because God had you in mind before you were born. You were created for a God-given purpose. You are not condemned this morning. Paul was showing Peter grace by not condemning him, but by opening his eyes to the truth. Did you hear that? Opening his eyes to the truth. 
Are you still with me? <laughs> eh? Peter went on to serve Jesus because of this. Do you know that? He went on to serve Jesus, becoming the rock of his church and even writing two books of the Bible because he was not condemned. He was not written off. He was raised high and lifted up by someone who had a heart for him. Grace, brothers and sisters. Grace. You see, we are living in a self-serving, self-centered, self-obsessed Modern-day rush-rush society, isn't it true? Filled with negativity and constant tearing down of others. If you really want to differentiate yourself in this world, start to focus on building others up. Start to focus on showing grace to others. Yes, grit as well, but grace too. But then finally, and, and it's probably the longest point now, so you better wait and, and, and be patient with me. Uh, the third point is facing confrontation with grit and grace. is about blessing and releasing. Uh, releasing others, verses 19 to 21. If, a, if ever a man tried to be saved by keeping the law. Can you remember I said Paul refers a lot to the law here. If ever a man tried to be saved by keeping the law, it was Paul. Then he met Christ, and everything changed. Once Christ transformed his life, he looked back at his self-righteous law-keeping and concluded that it was nothing compared with the joy of knowing Christ personally. And this is what this these few verses are all about the joy of knowing Christ personally. All those things he tried to do to commend himself to God utterly failed. They failed not because they were bad, they were good, but because they could not change his heart. The law cannot change your heart, my brother, my sister. You can keep the law, but it cannot change your heart. Outward obedience can never change the human heart. Paul needed something the law could not provide. He needed a new heart. And this is what he's talking about here. You can never do enough in the future to cover what you did in the past. What the law could not do, Christ has done for us. This is what Paul refers to here. What the law could not do, Christ has done for us. Once you come to Christ, you are a brand new person. The old has gone and the new has come. When Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, what does it mean? He says, we are identified with all that he is and all that he has done. It's like Paul is saying, my old fleshly self was crucified with Jesus when he died on the cross. Did you hear that? My old fleshly self was crucified with Jesus when he died on the cross. My old sin nature, which the Bible calls my old man, was crucified with Jesus. The old me, the old self, the old sin nature has died in Christ. In Christ. In Christ, I am raised to newness of life with a new 
Christ-like nature. Do you have that this morning? In Christ, I am more than I could ever imagine. Those who know Christ personally understand what it means to say that Christ lives in me. Even if we cannot fully explain it to anyone else. Isn't it true? We cannot fully explain it, how he lives in us. Our old self is gone and the new self has been birthed through the entrance of Christ into our lives. Oh, I love that. Lord, thank you for entering my life. I don't deserve it, Father, that you entered my life. I failed you so many times, but Lord, thank you for entering my life. We experience Christ in us only as we commit ourselves to him as Lord and Savior. The human heart, you know, when I think about it, let's just talk about that for a few seconds here, um, or minutes. The human heart is a wonderful thing. It is the center of you, your being, the very core of who you are. Your heart is the part of you that is you. Isn't it true? It is your inner sanctum. In other words, it is who you are at your deepest level. Your heart. It is the place where your hopes reside. Isn't it true? It is where we place our love, beloved people from our hearts. Our heart is where our deepest commitments lie. In our hearts we find the answer to what we stand for, what we would die for, what we would give up. Our hearts are full of memories as well, of people and events, of words spoken to both to, uh, to build us up, both good and bad. In our hearts are yearnings and longings. In our hearts are fears and sorrows. We carry in our hearts, first of all, I'm going to say the negative, we carry in our hearts pain that stays with us, shapes us, and becomes part of who we are if we allow it to. We also carry in our hearts amazing things of, that the Lord has placed there that stays with us, shapes us, and becomes part of who we are. The heart is where we carry evil intentions as well, where temptations find good soil to grow into ripe transgressions. Think about what you carry in your heart this morning. What are you carrying in your heart? What is truly amazing is the fact that the human heart is where Christ chooses to dwell. Somewhere in our inner being, Christ can dwell. That's the human heart. Somewhere in our center, in the core of our being, the divine Son of God comes to make his home. Did you hear that? The one who created all there is, who upholds this world with his hand, who carries out his eternal plan with wisdom and might, who understands the mystery of all there is, comes to dwell in my ordinary little heart. Little heart. He is so vast, so inconceivable. Yet he comes to dwell in the human heart. Years ago when we were youth, and I think Brother Timothy and Uncle David and others would remember that, 
We used to sing a song, how big is, uh, the, it's a question, how big is God? How big and wide is vast domain? To begin to tell? These words can only start. I can't remember the words further, can you help me? He's <laughs> big enough to rule this mighty universe, yet small enough to live within our hearts. That's the God we're serving here this morning. He lives within our hearts. And what a blessing it is. I ask you this morning, is he dwelling in you? Does he live in you this morning? A Christian is a person in whom Christ now lives. If they opened your heart today, I want to ask, if they opened your heart today, would they find Jesus Christ there? At the center of it all? I ask you again, if they opened your heart today, would they find Jesus Christ there? A blessing, when I think of this blessing and releasing, what a blessing it is that he's so vast and he dwells within us. A blessing, you know, is more than a compliment. It is more than encouragement. A blessing is releasing the life and power of the Lord into the life of the one being blessed. That's what a blessing is. I've spoke so quickly now. Eh? That boy is going to, has a great voice and he's going to sing probably better than, what's the, what's the tenor that sings so well? Yeah. Are you invoking blessings on others because of who you are in Christ? This morning, if someone is a blessing in your life, I want, I want to encourage you this week and I'm almost through, tell them they will never know how deeply they have touched your life unless you tell them. If you sense God's purpose on a person's life, do not block it, bless it. Sometimes you want to stop the person, leave the person. Your time is, your, and blessings will come. But if you, if you see God's purpose in the life of someone else, don't block it. Bless it, and bless the person. You, you can make a big difference in a person's life by blessing that person. God's blessings coming from your words and your encouragement can release the very thing they need to move to the next level in their walk with the Lord. You need to this morning decide on the inside to refuse to live in the past. Break the cycle of hostility that binds you to the wounds of yesterday. Let go and move on. But I want to just say this, remember that he first confronted us in our sin so that we would know the fullness of his mercy and grace toward us. I want to close with an illustration I want to make here this morning. Some of us have heard about Erwin McManus. He was 17 years old. When his father left them, he begged his father to stay with them as a family, but he didn't. He refused to, and he left them. He was 17 years old. But then eventually, years later, after his son was born, and his son was now 15, his son so much wanted to meet his grandfather. And that manners started to look and eventually he tracked down his father where he was. 
father's name is Bill. And you know, when they met, the reunion was good for a while. But just before they left, and you heard me this, I mentioned this before, just before they left, Bill, Irwin McManus, his father, said to his grandson, I don't know what your father told you, but I want to tell you, your father was average. His brother was exceptional, but he was just average. Ever heard that? Now I want to say this to you, I do not believe anyone is born average. But I do believe that many of us choose to live a life of mediocrity. You see, average is always a safe place. I want to be safe. I want to stay safe. I'm comfortable here. That's average. So I want to say this. If you are comfortable with where you are in your walk with the Lord, where you are at this moment, that's average. That's average. Did you hear that? I'm coming to the point now. That's average. Don't... Don't settle for less than the best at all times. Don't settle for less than the best. The amazing thing about this father, who was called average, the father died eventually, but the man who was called average today is the lead pastor of Mosaic, a mega church in Los Angeles but he was called average. I want to say this, the reason why I'm mentioning this, he wrote a book called The Last Arrow. And in The Last Arrow, he speaks about the fact that he had cancer and he, he, he didn't think he would make it. And because he had cancer, he said, you know, he was so determined, he said, cancer can define when I die but I will not allow cancer to keep me from living a life that glorifies God. Cancer cannot keep you from living and shining for him. And that's why he spoke about arrows. And I want to say this here this morning, an arrow only has value if you release it. And as it travels, it goes to places you never thought it would travel. Isn't it true? It goes to places. You and I only have value as we release the very best of God's grace, God's greatness, God's glory on others. We release it on them because we never know what would happen in the lives of others. Think of that this morning. So as we leave here this morning, I know I was long. Shoot those arrows of grace. Shoot those arrows of love. Shoot those arrows of blessing on others today. When we think of average, every blessing the Lord has blessed you with was not an average blessing. Every time the Lord made a way for you, it was not an average way. 
every time the Lord stepped in and, and, and performed amazing things in your life, was it average? So I challenge you here this morning, confront whatever needs to be confronted, but don't settle for less than the best. Amen. Thank you, Father.